Well, good morning, City Light. Man, it's good to be here with you, like Doug. Yeah, all right. Uh, As Doug said, my name is Eric. I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm excited to be here with you today because we're continuing to track through the book of Ephesians. And Ephesians is a really cool book of the Bible. In part, it's really fitting for us right now because this book was actually a letter written by a church planter. That's just a guy who starts churches written by a church planter named Paul to a church that he planted and the people in that church. So it's really cool for us as a new church plant, a church that just got started, to get to hear from and learn from one of the very first church planters in all of history. So this is an awesome book. I think it has a lot to say to us. And so we want to dive in. I don't know if you noticed, but Paul, in the text that Doug just read, we see that Paul tells the people in the church at Ephesus that he's remembering them in his prayers. He's going to tell us how he prayed for this church that he planted. And so I want to start off this morning by asking you a question. When do you pray? What are the times in life that either make you hit your knees or look up to God and just pray? What are those times? When do you pray? And when you get there, what do your prayers sound like? What do you say to God in those moments when you decide it's time to talk to him? If I'm going to be honest, as I reflected on that, when do I pray? Uh, The reality for me is most of the time when I pray, it's because I have some sort of a need. I have some need, and so I go to God and ask him to meet that need, right? Just a couple weeks ago, I got to share about all the times that God has answered prayers for us in this church. And you remember what that list was like? I said, oh man, God, we need people to show up who will just join us in this church planning effort, right? God, now people have done that. Now we need a building to meet in. Oh, God, you provided that. Now we need the money to pay for that building. You know, now we need people to fill that building. We need help going out and uh, seeking lost people like you did. Now you've done that and we need more space. And God's answered all of those prayers. But do you see the trend that happened? Need after need after need. That was the prayers that I shared. I think that's true of me. Not just in the church life, but in my personal life. Can you relate? Are your prayers like that? I know I, I, just this last, Doug said it's been a crazy week. Just this last week, um, I had a baby who was sick. And then this last weekend, as I'm getting over a cold, we just built a new wall kind of like this in the Sherwood building. And I spent all day, I got up at 6, before 6, I finished this sermon at 6.30 in the morning. Then I got prepared to build this wall. I was there all day uh, till 5 o'clock. I go home and I told Sarah when I got home, babe, I am so glad to be home. I just want to relax and then talk through my sermon for the first time, right? Like, this is what you guys pay me to do. I can't come here unprepared. But it didn't happen because as it turns out, after dinner, uh, after dinner was made, our three, our four-year-old um, was chewing up his food and then spitting it out, not swallowing it. We thought this is a discipline issue, but it turns out his throat was swollen. He actually couldn't swallow. So Sarah had to take him to 
uh, urgent care, got a prescription. She didn't get back till nine. So I'm putting the kids to bed. When she got back, then she didn't feel well. And so she was tossing and turning all night. I think she got a couple hours of sleep. And uh, so did I. And so I wake up this morning and I'm like, you know what, God, I just have all kinds of needs today. You ever get there? You ever just get to a place where you're like, man, my life is so full of needs. That's all I can think to pray about. There's no, I can't see anything else. I just want to go to God with my needs. Listen, the reality is that praying for your needs is a completely legitimate reason to pray. When Jesus' disciples asked him, oh, teacher, how are we to pray? One of his answers, part of his answer was pray like this. Give us this day our daily bread. What he was telling them was we have needs. We need to eat. We need to survive. There are things that we need and God will give those things to us. You can take your needs to him. He is a provider and a sustainer. That is a good and right thing to do. And we actually obey Jesus when we trust God to be the one who can meet our needs. But today I want to say I learned something from scripture this week as I was preparing. I don't think taking our needs to God is the only way that we can pray, all right? So I wanna look at the text today and see how Paul, this church planter, prayed for his people. Doug just read the passage a moment ago. As he read it, did you notice what he prayed? He did not pray that God would meet the needs of the people in that church. He didn't pray that they would escape the severe and sometimes extreme persecution that Christians encountered in that time. He didn't pray that their businesses would be successful so that they could provide for the church and themselves. He didn't pray for their health or wealth or safety or success. None of that. He prayed for something else. He prayed... uh, Oh, I wrote a joke in here and I forgot. I'm going to say it anyway. Paul didn't pray for a nice full beard instead of a little fuzz under his lip, right? I can't leave that out, all right? Not just needs. He didn't just bring needs, okay? (laughs) Paul did not just pray for their needs. He prayed that they would see what they have, not what they lack. Okay, I'm going to say this again. Catch this. Paul prayed that the people in the church would see what they already have, not what they currently lack. All right, let's go to the Bible and see what he actually said. This is what Paul wrote. I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. Paul prayed that the eyes of their hearts would be enlightened. Okay, now track with me. You walk into a dark room It's really hard to see what's around you. It's not that there is nothing around you, right? You just can't see it. When you flip on the light switch, though, when the room is enlightened, when light hits your eyes, what happens? You can see what already exists around you. 
Paul prayed that the eyes of their hearts would be enlightened. Now, he's not talking about the heart that pumps blood to all the extremities of your body. Okay, when Paul talks about the heart, he's talking about the center core of who we are. This is the place where our mind and our spirit and our body kind of overlap. It's where the things that we know and the things that we love and the things that we do, they all meet up together and meld somehow. Paul's talking about the center core of who we are and he calls it our hearts. And he prays that the eyes of our hearts would be enlightened. Somehow that center core of who we are can see. It has something like eyes. And he says, sometimes our hearts can clearly see what we know and love and other times it can't. And so Paul's prayer is, oh spirit. If I could paraphrase it a little bit, I might say it like this. God, shine the light of your spirit in the lives of your people so that they can see the blessings you have given them in your son, Jesus Christ. He prays that they would see what they have, not what they lack. Turn the lights on so that we can see all the ways that we're blessed in Christ. Do you remember how this chapter started? If you were here last week, Doug talked us through the first 14 verses and verses three through 14 are one big, long, run-on sentence about all the blessings that God has already given us in his son, Jesus. He starts off by saying, you've been given every spiritual blessings in Christ in the heavenly places. All of them, they're already there. Okay, we've been chosen, predestined, adopted, redeemed, forgiven, lavished upon, saved, and sealed. And Paul prays, oh God, would you enlighten those blessings so that we're aware that they are already there. Would you show us what we have, not what we lack? Okay, this is where Paul's going. Now, before we dive in, I want to say this should get us excited about God. This should stir something in us when we see that we're already blessed in God. Because if you're like me and you tend to only pray for your needs, you only go to God when you need something, you might begin to feel like God's holding out on you. Like maybe um, there are things that he could do for us that he hasn't already done. Maybe there are things that we need from him that he hasn't yet given. We might begin to see God as some sort of divine vending machine. And we don't get the blessings from him until we go put in the quarters of our prayers, right? And hit the button that says, this is what I need today. And then cha-chink, cha-chink, and it comes out. If we only pray for our needs, we might see God as someone who holds out on us. But I want to tell you, Paul turns that all on its head when he prays today. He says, no, no, no. God isn't holding out on you. It's the opposite. He is all in for you. He's already blessed you with every spiritual blessing in Christ. He prays that we would see what we have, not what we lack. So I want to give you a picture of this. I want to drive this home. I used to work at AIM, CareerLink, over in Omaha. It's a small nonprofit. When I was there, um, there were a few perks of the job. And one of them was I got a free membership to the Pinnacle Fitness Club in downtown Omaha. Anybody ever been there? 
It's a really nice facility, actually. Um, and as a member, I got unlimited access to the gym, the pool, the track, all their machines. I got free entry into their fitness classes. I got free personal training if I wanted. I, there's probably a hundred other things that I got uh, being a member there that I don't even know about. Um, and just because I was an employee, I had unfettered access to all of it. Now, guess how many times I actually accessed those benefits? Can you guess? I, you guys are, you got high expectations for me. One time. I went one time and it was right after I started working there. I got really excited. I was like the pinnacle fitness club, man, I could just run there over lunch. I'm going to start working out. I used to work at the lumber yard and Sarah liked my pecs when I was carrying all that lumber around. I could bulk up a little bit, you know, impress her again. Uh, no more dad bod, right? Uh, I thought this is going to happen for me. And so in that excitement, I go over to the little introductory seminar and jumped in on a spin class, got exhausted and sweaty, went back to work and never returned. Okay. (laughs) Not even once. The reality is because I was an employee there, I had access to everything that they offered, but I never experienced the benefits Oh, City Light, what a tragedy it would be if we related to Jesus in that way. What a tragedy it would be if we encountered him and heard the gospel message and received saving grace never to return and see all the things that he has for us. It's a tragedy. Let's not be that kind of a people. Let's, with Paul, pray that God would enlighten for us all of the blessings that he's already given us in his son. Okay? So this is where I want to go today. Paul doesn't just pray that we would see this random list of blessings um, that he's that uh, might exist out there. He prays specifically for the things that the spirit could enlighten for us. And so I wanna go there. Let's look uh, at the text again. This is what Paul writes, the benefits that he wants us to see. This is another run-on sentence. So we're gonna pick up kind of where we left off from earlier and go forward. He says, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? So he prays that our hearts would be enlightened so that we can know hope, inheritance, and power. That's our outline for the rest of the morning. We're going to look at those and then we'll be done. Hope, inheritance, and power. So let's start with number one, hope. Paul prayed that the spirit would enlighten the hope that we have in Jesus, the hope to which he has called you. Hope is a pretty amazing thing, isn't it? When people have hope, they do incredible things. Hope drives us, it motivates us, it compels us. Right? Hope can take even the most, the hope of love can take even the most macho man and get him to hold his girl's hand, right? Or sing along to the song, love songs in the car as the radio's playing. Hope can drive an athlete to spend 
hours and hours training their bodies to do incredible feats so that victory might come. The hope of victory can drive us. The hope of money drives entrepreneurs and innovators to create new technologies and products that make the world a better place. They direct their brain power to incredible things. Hope drives us and motivates us. You see hope driving people every day, don't you? In my own house, just this last weekend, I realize now that Jonah has uh, strep throat, but he wasn't eating his green beans, okay? We had dinner, dinner was made, everybody's eating Jonah, not touching the green beans. We're like, Joe, you gotta eat those. And uh, not doing it, everybody else is done, except for him, he won't finish. And Asher asks us, um, hey, mom and dad, can I have some dessert? Sure, if you can find some, go ahead. So he walks over to the fridge. He gets some root beer um, left over from a birthday party and some ice cream. He makes himself a little root beer float. He comes back to the table, takes a big bite. All the while, his four-year-old brother is watching him. He sees him take that bite, and you know what Jonah's going to ask, right? Can I have one? What does any good parent respond to that? Not until you eat your green beans, right? Now, Jonah has motivation. The hope of a root beer float changed his behavior. That little Spider-Man fork started going a million miles an hour, right? His jaw is chewing those things as fast as he can and in his strep throat pain, he's choking them down and he finished his green beans so that he could have a root beer float. Hope changes things, right? Does hope change things for you? Here's what I want you to know. Paul says he's praying that we would see the hope that we have in Jesus. We all need this. We need a picture of a better future state, a dream of what's in store that drives us and keeps us going. And so I'd ask you, what do you hope for? What hope is driving you? I think most people have hopes for their education or their career, their relationship, their kids, their retirement, all these kinds of things. And honestly, those are all good things. We should have hopes for them, but none of them are ultimate. Okay, track with me for a minute. None of them last. You have hopes to finish your education, the degree is conferred, and then... Life goes on. What do you do after that? You have hopes for career advancement. Every time you climb to the next rung, there's another one. And if there's not, there's always some other company that might offer more benefits or money or hours or whatever. There's always somewhere else to go. In relationships, um, every marriage vow that I've heard ends something like, till death do us part, right? Even the best relationships, the most committed ones, can't survive the grave. It's good to hope in the things of this world because they give us good things, but if we place our ultimate hope there, we're likely to be disappointed at some point in time. Hoping in the things of this world will eventually leave us disappointed. And so I would say, where is your ultimate hope? What are you placing that in? There's only one place to find lasting, never-failing, ultimate kind of life-motivating hope. And Paul says, it's in Jesus. 
It's hope in the gospel that God saves sinners like you and me for relationship with him today in heaven with him tomorrow and forever. That's where we find lasting and ultimate hope. And so City Light, I want to pray with Paul that God would enlighten that hope for us. That we would see Jesus not just as an answer to something that we experienced a long, long time ago. But something that, uh, someone that gives us hope today. That we can wake up in the morning with hope that we know the God who created us. We know that he's given us a purpose and a mission to live for and a future that is secure with him. We need that kind of hope. Everybody does. And we can only find it in him. One of the greatest blessings of following Jesus is having something secure to hope in. Oh, City Light, would we see the things that we already have, not what we lack, okay? So Paul starts off and he prays that we would see the hope we have in Jesus. And then he prays that we would know what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? Now, I want to be clear here because we can read this at first and think, oh, Paul wants us to know what our inheritance will be one day from God. That would be good news and something to hope for, but that's not what scripture says. The Bible tells us that we'll have that, but that's not what Paul says here. Paul prays that we would know God's inheritance in the saints. God's inheritance in the saints. Did you know God from the beginning of time planned an inheritance for himself? And what was it? It was us. Who are the saints? Saints are just saved sinners, lost people who were found, right? Saved sinners are saints and God's inheritance that he planned from the beginning of time are people like you and me. Now there are big implications for this, okay, of this. When you walk into a room like this and you gather with people like this, it is no common experience. You are sitting among the people that God is excited about, is longing for, is waiting for, that he describes as the riches of his glorious inheritance. That means that little boy that took the donut that you wanted, ate one bite and then threw it away, right? He is part of God's glorious inheritance, That guy that sings off key just a little too loud, right? He's not just some annoying guy to sit in front of. He's part of God's glorious inheritance. The parking's not great here. And when you came in and that lady took your parking spot, guess what? She's part of God's glorious inheritance too. God does not look down on what happens here and see a bunch of ragtag, council-tucky, forgettable people, right? God looks down on what happens here and sees in you, in us, the riches of his glorious inheritance. And Paul prays, oh, could we see ourselves the way that God sees us? Let me give you a picture. One of my favorite things about being married is watching my wife wake up. This is creepy maybe a little bit, okay? (laughs) One of my favorite things about being married is getting to see her wake up in the morning. 
Part of the reason is because it's her unedited. It's her unprepared. It's her at her natural state, right? No makeup, bedhead hair, morning breath and all, right? This is just her. And I love it because to me, it's, she's at her most beautiful in those unedited moments. And one of the reasons why I love that so much is because she can't see it. She doesn't feel that. She would look at herself and say, I have work to do before I'm presentable and acceptable. And my go-to line in those times when she would debate with me about whether or not she's beautiful in that moment, oh babe, if you could see yourself through my eyes, you'd have no argument. There's beauty here. Paul prays, would we see ourselves the way that God sees us? Could the eyes of our hearts be enlightened so that we can see what God sees? Have you ever wondered what God sees when he looks at you? Am I good enough? Will he accept me? Could he love me? What would God think about somebody who's done the things that I've done? Have you ever wondered that? Know this. He has, when you put your trust in Jesus, He looks at you and would say, oh, I long for the riches of my glorious inheritance in you. This is not a humanistic theology. Not that God is making us greater than him. I'm just saying, God looks at you and he sees a glorious inheritance. He is not just a judge. He is a lover with longings for us. It is a blessing. And Paul prays that we would see what we already have not what we lack, okay? Um, Number three, Paul has prayed for uh, that we would know hope in Jesus, that we would know that we are part of God's inheritance in Jesus. And he adds at the end that we would know what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. There is power in Jesus, Okay? This is, it's not a common type of power. It's not an ordinary type of power. Paul says it is immeasurably great. And this is such a cool description, I think, especially for a uh, uh, culture that just longs for information like ours does. Right? If I were to buy a new TV and I said, hey, I just got a new TV, what are the first things you would ask me about it? How big is it? Is it 4K? How much money did it cost? We want to know the measurements, right? If we're looking for a new house, the things that we look at, how many square feet are there? How many bathrooms are there and bedrooms are there? How many owners were there? We want to know the data, the measurements. When a new baby is born, we announce the name and what? The measurements, how much they weighed and how long they were. We are a culture that wants to be able to quantify and know how much we have, how much we're getting. And Paul says, when it comes to Jesus' power, you cannot know it. It is immeasurable. And so I'm thinking, how, how, what could we connect this to? What hook could we use to kind of understand this? And I don't know that there's a good one, honestly, um, but let's go here. I think Jesus' power, it blows all of our categories. And so maybe it would be kind of like trying to measure the expanse of the universe with a tape measure, 
okay? You might think, where on earth would I start? Where would I end? I don't even know how to go across something like that, right? And the smartest people, um, those scientists that study these things, they've attempted this kind of thing. They've used what we know about the speed of light and the, dis- the movements of distant galaxies. And they've said that we can see things that are about 13.8 billion light years away. That's as far as we can see, 13.8 billion light years from any point on earth, you know, around. And and they call that the observable universe. They don't say that's the whole universe. They just say that's as much of the universe as we can see and measure. What is beyond that? Are there other galaxies and systems and planets and stars beyond that? We don't know because we can't see it and we can't measure it. In some way, the universe is immeasurable. And Paul's prayer is that we would, we would see and know and experience the immeasurable greatness of Jesus' power toward us. How would you do that? How, how could we even begin to understand something immeasurable? Paul didn't leave us hanging. He helps us out, and right after he prays this, he gives us an according to. It's like a on the order of statement. I pray that you would know his power toward us who believe according to. So look at the Bible with me. We would know his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. How do we know the immeasurable greatness of God's power? We see it in how he worked in the life of his son. We see God's power in Jesus, his son, in his love for his son. And Paul begins to describe the gospel of Jesus Christ to us in this passage. He says, how do we know God's power? We see that it's greater than death. We know at least it's greater than death. Why? Because God raised his son from the dead. Let me tell you the story, right? We said the the observable universe is 13.8 billion miles in every direction, billion light years. Miles would be a lot smaller than that. 13.8 billion light years in every direction. And the Bible says that the whole universe could fit in the palm of God's hand. Literally the span of his hand, from his end of his pinky to the end of his thumb, the whole universe fits there. And our little 13.8 billion light year visibility observable universe is some subsection of that. We don't know how big or small what part of it, but it fits in there. That fits in God's hand. He's huge. And that immeasurable God stepped down into that little universe, well inside 13.8 billion light years onto this planet to live in a body like ours, to live the the sinless life that we could not live, to die the sinner's death that we deserve to be buried in the grave. And then this immeasurably great power of God overcame it all. He reached into that grave and Jesus stood up and he just left. 
He walked out and he conquered the grave, something that none of us could do. God did with immeasurably great power. And it didn't end there. Jesus didn't just get up and walk out and hang out on earth for forever. God did something more. His power is greater. It's beyond the universe because he took that Jesus, raised him from the dead and then seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. So beyond 13.8 billion light years in the observable universe, there's more expanse somewhere. And outside of that, around that universe in the palm of his hand, God took Jesus and sat him down at his right hand. And he said, you may be able to get outside of your solar system, oh humanity, with a little trinkety uh, satellite. I can take you beyond the universe to sit outside of all that I created with me in the heavenly places. My power is immeasurable. And then he said, and Jesus, my son, is greater than anything else you'll ever experience. He said, his power is greater than any other power. He is above every rule. There is no law. There is no code that's greater than Jesus. He's above every authority. There is no king or president or boss or principal that's more powerful than Jesus. He's greater than every power. There's no weapon or nuclear warhead or passion that can be more powerful than Jesus' power. He's above every dominion. There is no kingdom or state or nation or group of nations that could rival the dominion of Jesus. His name is above every other name. There's no man, woman, or child who exists today or in past or in the future that will ever rival Jesus' name. His power is above all names in this age or the age to come. Oh, that we would see what we already have, not just what we lack. Have you ever wondered, is God big enough to get you through whatever you're dealing with? Can he really heal the hurt? Can he really restore the love? Can he really give me a reason to get up in the morning? Can he really keep all the crazy promises that he made me in the Bible? Will he really never abandon me? Does he really love me? Will he really make all things new one day so that there is no more sickness or crying or pain or death anymore? Can he really keep those promises? The answer is yes, unequivocally yes. His power is immeasurably great. He has the power to do what he says he will do and he will do it. Oh, that we would see what we already have, not what we lack. City Light, I love this part of Ephesians because I think we learn two things. We learn number one, that we have hope and inheritance and power in Jesus, but we also learn that we can pray to know them more, that the light can shine brighter on those things. What you know about being blessed in God is only a little portion of what you actually have in your blessings in God. Paul prayed that we would see what we have, not what we lack. And so my plea to you today as we finish, will you let this impact your prayer life? We'll keep taking our needs to him because it's right to do that, and he will answer. But this week, rather than starting there, would you ask him to enlighten the eyes of your heart that you would see and know and experience the blessings that he's already given you? We've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus.